Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Valley. Today we'll have myself, Mighty Pete, and we have the Jake Schmidt. Good afternoon. Good morning to you, sir. How are you doing, Pete? Thank you for having me. Listen, great to have you on. You're calling all the way across the Atlantic today. So tell us, who are you, where are you, and what are you doing? Yeah, my name is Jake Schmidt, and I'm calling from New York City. I just moved to New York City about seven months ago, so it's been quite the journey. But I own a digital marketing agency, a performance marketing agency called Structured Social. I'm sorry, structured agency now that we have the full funnel of services, not just paid performance media anymore. Um, my background is I started basically growing up on the internet, almost I like to call it, where uh, when I was 14, 15 years old, I was just obsessed with the internet. I loved to play video games, all that kind of stuff. And I was always just interested in figuring out ways to um, learn more about the internet. And I had a foreign exchange student come to my house one summer i played soccer competitive soccer my entire life and uh, he came all the way from france and he had a laptop and i was obsessed with this because i was able to get on the internet and i found this site called rewards one um, rewards one was a survey website where you'd go and you'd fill out these surveys and then they give you points for all the surveys that you filled out it was really really um not very efficient way to do it because I felt like I filled out so many different surveys, but I didn't get credit for it. So that whole attribution was an absolute mess. Uh, now I learned more about that as I've, I've grown in my career and I, I know what they were trying to do. They're just playing the arbitrage there. But anyway, I earned my first $5 on rewards one as a website. And from that point on, I was like, Oh, wow, this is incredible. I can make money online. I had been doing things, playing games, learning Photoshop, all that kind of stuff when I was younger. And then I made money online. I'm like, this is amazing. That was kind of what it set out for my mission is to figure out how can I create a job for myself online. Um, and, and I just continued to obsess over it. And, and one thing led to another. I sold hoverboards. I sold um, pretty much anything you could imagine through eBay, refurbished computers, all these different things. Uh, that eventually led me to coming across the, the concept of fidget spinner. Um, I started the fidget spinner. I wouldn't say I invented it, but I would say I, I had a pretty big uh, effect on on commercializing the fidget spinner. Uh, that story is a crazy story. If you want, I can go into it now, or maybe we say it a little bit later. Yeah, sure. I mean, let's go for it. I mean, that's what it's all about. Because I mean, the show is called Fire in the Belly. So I mean, I'm assuming there's going to be passion. There's going to be purpose. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that was absolutely insane. So what happened there is I was working or I had a client, um, which was a really big real estate investor and they were trying to grow their Instagram and I knew how to grow Instagrams and I knew how to just basically get attention, find underpriced attention. Um, they were selling these different educational courses and stuff through their Instagram. And that really opened my eyes to, oh, wow, there's a lot of traffic on Instagram and there's a lot of people that are willing to pay for all different types of services. And I really think that TikTok is in the same state now, um, where Instagram was whenever I found this opportunity. So 
anyone that's looking for underpriced traffic, I think TikTok is majorly underpriced right now. So basically, um, I was on Kickstarter as well because I love just like gadgets. Like it was always really cool to me to just figure out what all the new gadgets are out there. And I was on Kickstarter and on the top page, it shows like all the best projects and the projects that have the most volume. And there's this thing called the Fidget Cube and it had raised like six or $7 million. I can't remember the exact number in I think 30 days. And I was like, wow, this is insane. Um, and while seeing that, I was a lot of the accounts that I was buying different shout outs for and stuff for my client at the time, um, they were they were always posting these different types of gadgets and people were sending to a Shopify store. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I, and I always try to reverse engineer um, different funnels whenever I see them, just kind of figure out, make sense of what they're doing. It was always interesting to me. So I saw the fidget spinner um, and I'm like, OK, there's something here in these fidget toys. There's a market for this. Uh, another big thing that I had noticed on Instagram was the videos that went the most viral are ones that had some sort of like satisfactory element to it. So like, if you remember the slime back in the day, it was like, you just like continue to watch it because you're almost mesmerized by the video. And it just like had your hook and like thinking at the actual uh, mechanics of how Instagram works is like, of course, the longer you watch a video and the more you watch the video, it tells the algorithm that, hey, I want to show this to more people. Uh, so there's that viral component to it. So then I started searching around, I didn't really think anything of it. And I, I had a 3D printer as well, uh, where I would 3D print just different things, always interested in new technologies. And I was on this website called um, Thingiverse. And basically what Thingiverse was, was a open source marketplace, I guess you'd call it, for different types of 3D projects that you could print. Um, and I was on there and there was a really popular project and it was, uh, it was a fidget spinner now knowing the world and knows as the fidget spinner. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna print it on my 3D printer because I have one, might as well test it out. And this, I saw the fidget toy, that was pretty cool. No plans to sell this thing or anything like that. Um, so I, I 3D printed it. And I think I also 3D printed like a dinosaur or like a, just a block or just random things that you could find on there. Uh, these STL files that you could download that were pre-made. So. I 3D printed the fidget spinner and I had like bearings in my drawer from, from uh, skateboards and I put the bearings in because that's what they, the instructions were. This is how you make the toy. And I, I made it and I played around with it. It was okay. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, but, but kind of dumb. And then I, I was still searching the web and, and my mom had an Etsy store at the time and I was on Etsy helping her out with, with her orders and, and stuff. And uh, I came across a 3D printed fidget spinner because a lot of these people, these hobbyists, they would 3D print something and then they go and they'd sell it on Etsy. It was just in my feed. So I, I came across this fidget spinner and they were selling them. And on Etsy, you can see how many people buy the product and with what amount of time they bought the product. And I saw it's like, oh, a decent amount of people had bought that fidget spinner um, on Etsy. I'm like, okay, there's something here. Thinking back to the fidget cube that I saw, $6 million in revenue looking at people who are buying it. I, I saw that there was, there was product market fit here. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take advantage of this. I have the skill sets necessary. I know where the underpriced traffic is right now. I know a product that would work really, really well on Instagram because as you spin the fidget spinner, it's like very mesmerizing, like watching that thing go around. Uh, so it has that satis satisfactory or like satisfactory element to it that works so well on Instagram, that viral component. So with that, I went to Alibaba and I reached out to a bearing manufacturer. Um, the bearing manufacturer, I said, hey, are you able to make this um, in, in 
industrial mold. Um, and they're like, yeah, absolutely, we can make this. Uh, so the bearing manufacturer made it. And I had asked for a bunch of different colors, a bunch of different samples. I, I created it on Photoshop um, what I had wanted, but, and I ended up only getting just a plain black fidget spinner, like super boring thinking of how that product progressed into what it is or what it was at the, at the peak was crazy. I think all the different versions, I think at one point I saw a version and it had like a soccer ball on the end, it had metal fidget spinners, two uh, legged fidget spinners, absolutely crazy. Um, so they, they created this for me and I got it. And from that point I went and I took pictures. I was like, okay, how do I take pictures of this to make it compelling? Cause it's like just a toy, but I want to make it so it captures people's attention. So there was a car dealership that had like luxury cars that I went to and I went with my buddy and we took a picture in front of like, I think a Bentley and like a Lamborghini and stuff. I'm like, okay, this will catch people's eyes, uh, as they're scrolling, like, Oh, what is this? So I did that and I eventually ended up getting kicked out of that place. They're like, hey, you can't do this. Like, don't take pictures of our cars if you're not gonna plan on buying. I was just a stupid kid at that point. Um, so I got those pictures, I posted on Instagram and then I was like, okay, what I really need is I need a compelling video ad to, to sell this product. Um, now that I know the different meme pages that I'm gonna go after. And that's what I was doing for this real estate investor is I was going to all these different meme pages that didn't necessarily have a true monetization strategy. Um, they weren't able to do like a AdSense or uh, YouTube uh, income. They didn't really have that. They just were able to do shout outs for different types of brands. So I went to them like, hey, can I post my client on your page and you can drive traffic to it? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So I was doing that. So I had this big network built at that time. I think if I if I remember my entire reach across all of Instagram was like something crazy, like I think 500 million people or, or something like that. Um, I didn't actually own those accounts, but I, I knew who to connect. And I think that's, there's a big lesson in there. It's like, you don't necessarily have to own it. You just need to know who to talk to, to get answers to certain things. And I think that's really valuable. Uh, but no, going back to it. So I went and I created this video at the mall um, and I was just messing with the fidget spinner. And at that point it was like, okay, what is the whole concept? It's like, oh, okay you have ADHD or you're a fidgeter in class or whatever it is, it's like, oh, this could fix it because you're constantly messing with your keys or your AirPods. There were AirPods at that time. It's like, all right, this is the perfect tool for it. So I took that angle and I created the angle and um, I went to the mall and I shot a bunch of different videos with my brother and my girlfriend. And uh, we made this video. And at that point I went and I reached out to the best meme account at that time that I had, the ones that would gain the most follow followers and give me the most traffic. and and everything like that for my client. So I went and I posted the video and I created a Shopify store, super simple Shopify store at that time. This is back whenever Shopify was nowhere close to what it is today. Um, threw up the theme, threw it on there, put my video on there, took the product photography that I did at the, the car dealership. And I, it was so crazy. I, I remember this day very, very vividly. Um, I was at my house. I reached out to, the meme account was called LMAO. <coughs> I think at the time they had, 20 million followers or something crazy like that. And they'd get like an average of a million likes on their, on their images, whenever they'd post uh, organic content to like the actual niche that they're targeting. So I reached out to him and I, he charged me $300 for, I think a four hour shout out. Um, and for those that don't know what a shout out is, is basically you tell them what you want them to post and they'll post it. And this is back before the algorithm was all crazy. So you had that uh, timeline where it'd show the newest stuff first. You didn't have to deal with, with that, which after that update happened, it severely limited the reach. Um, 
but yeah, they would, they would post it for four hours. You'd be at the top of the timeline and you just get all this traffic. And at that point I did the deal and I had a haircut and I was driving to my, my hair, haircut appointment. And I remember looking at my phone and I'm like, what the hell is this? I just kept getting these ding, 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 ding. And within that four hour period of time, I think I had sold something crazy, like $4,000 worth of fidget spinners. Um, and from that point, I was like, all right, I'm onto something. How do I scale this up? How do I, how do I make it into um, something much, much bigger? Because now I found the traffic and I just need to do more of it. So I continued to reach out to more of my network, figure out how I could do deals. I would buy all these different shout outs in bulk, um, which ended up me partnering with another company in LA. And we're like, all right, how do we take it to the next level? And we're like, all right, this is going to be a fad. We need to really make sure that we're able to capitalize on it as much as we possibly can. So we started to reach out to different uh, retailers. We ended up getting the fidget spinner into Best Buy, Target, Brookstone. Um, we ended up creating a different version of the fidget spinner. So we call it like the dumb fidget spinner and then the smart fidget spinner. Smart fidget spinner wasn't a great idea. Um, looking back on it, I wish we wouldn't have invested into it. But anything I like to do, I really like to try to do it big um, and, and try to make the most of it. Um, and that's what we did with the fidget spinner. Looking back, didn't necessarily work, but um, it was a great learning experience. And the concept was it was a connected 3D, 3D, I'm sorry, connected fidget spinner. So we had an app, it tracked your spins. Um, it gave you like different types of tricks that you could do because we noticed a lot of people that were buying them. We had no idea that you could do tricks with a fidget spinner, but they would do these different tricks where they'd like throw it up, like catch it, and like just do this crazy stuff. And the smart version of the fidget spinner allowed us to track those different movements and, and we really just turned it into a game it's like it was like a remote almost for for a game on your phone um didn't end up working uh, long story short the fad it was a fad the concept of the fidget spinner went up as quickly as it went down which learned a ton about there uh met some incredible people learned a lot about marketing which led me to uh starting a marketing agency because i realized that it was fun creating these different products but what really got me excited, what got the fire in my belly um, was, was the marketing side. I didn't really like dealing with the customer service or dealing with the supply chain issues, that sort of stuff. So my partner and I, Nick Shackelford, um, we decided to start a marketing agency called Structured Agency now. Uh, Structured Agency is, as I think I mentioned, it's a performance marketing agency. And that's something that I really, really learned through, through the fidget spinner was it's like, people will pay for this if you can get them results. And I was able to get results. Like whenever I was doing this, everything was very calculated in terms of, hey, I'm gonna spend $300. What's my return on ad spend gonna be? Uh, I would make sure I'd have at least $600, $800, so like a 2X return. Um, and, and that's what really opened my eyes to this concept of performance marketing. So that led me to starting the agency. Um, any anything to add before I continue on to the next story, or anything uh, to ask? What, Any clarifying uh, questions? What's a meme? A meme. So yeah, a meme is basically uh, just like funny, funny images. So like for example, if you have a a person's face like this, it's like they just saw your ex or something, something stupid like that. Um, so yeah, I, it, the concept was is always like valuetainment or edutainment. And that's what we really wanted to make all our videos around where it's like educational, but it's also entertaining because you can't just create something that's super educational um, because then it, then it gets lost in the feed and doesn't capture people's attention. So you have to gear it towards how do I make it so it's, it's authentic to the feed that they have to their account that I'm promoting it on, 
but also it's explaining my product. Um, that was another cool thing that we did too, is like we started using influencers and this is well, I would send the fidget spinner to uh, comedians, um, athletes, these different types of people. And it's like, hey, go make me a video around this. So you're kind of leaning into their skill set of being creatives. Uh, they would make me this content and then I would use that content to be posted on all these stuff for different uh, meme pages like LMAO, funny pics, all these different different memes are, all these different crazy, crazy Instagram profiles. How, how do you track all this? I mean, is this... Yeah, attribution was an absolute mess. Um, at the time, we used this thing called uh, Kick, K-I-K. So that was like the messaging app for the inner circle of Instagram uh, influencers. And you get into these different groups and you you connect with these people that have millions and millions of followers. And, and uh, sometimes a lot of these people that I was working with, they were like 14 years old and they're making like hundreds of thousands of dollars by selling these shout outs. And I'm like, wow, this is so crazy. Uh, and that really opened my eyes again too. It's like the possibilities are limitless. Like the internet is the future and it, it doesn't discriminate against age. It doesn't discriminate absolutely anything, how you look, whatever it is, as, as long as you have the hustle um, and, and the, I guess, obsessiveness and the ambition to continue to learn and figure things out, you're, you're going to be able to make it one way or another. And, and for you, because I mean, it sounds like different aspects, right? You've got the creative side, which is coming up with new concepts, coming up with new, new ideas. Then you've got almost the doers. They're the people that make the connections, makes the thing. And it, what I'm hearing here is you're more on the sort of the doing side, if you like, um, as long as it didn't sort of get into business as usual, as long as it didn't slow, you know, yeah does that make sense yeah absolutely no absolutely i'm definitely uh hungry to move as quickly as possible like i think that's something that really separates people from being successful and not it's it's their time horizon it's how long does it take for someone to actually get something accomplished and just start because every single time in my life whenever i had some sort of success it's always been i have momentum and i want to figure out how can i create this momentum as quickly as i possibly can because i'll come up with an idea I'll go and I'll try to throw up a landing page or I'll go and I'll try to find um, whatever the, the channel is that I'm going to start messaging people on, or I'll go and try to find the person that's going to be able to fulfill whatever the service might be, because that just gives me momentum. And once I have a little bit of that momentum, I know that I can continue to lean more into that and um, get more and more accomplished. So I take that with anything that I'm doing. Uh, absolutely a, a doer over, over just kind of sitting in the background, sitting in the stands and watching. But I think that's important as well. It's like you have to do a little bit of both to figure out, all right, where are the opportunities? And once you spot the opportunity, you have to jump on it as quickly as possible. I mean, it's really interesting because you, you, and what I'm hearing is it's in terms of paying for influencers, paying for, I mean, do you, do you pay for sponsors or is that really not necessary or, you know, going through? But I mean, so many people are just going, well, we'll do the business. And then if we need it, given, given a bit of a push, then we'll, we'll get sponsors or we'll get, get them whatever because you're almost going the other way and going to have a product let's push it through the influencer push it through channels which will then create a market so you're creating markets as opposed to having a product needing to create the create the clients does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely no and i think that's i think that's really important i think that gives you the first mover advantage um in most cases and that's the reason why i was able to be more successful than most people because um I think it was like a month and a half after we had launched, there was thousands and thousands of copycats just jumping up and, and showing. So I think if you can find that opportunity to be the first mover, you're going to have a huge advantage there. What sort of habits or what sort of traits do you think that actually 
you know, were, were the linchpin to that success. I mean, you mentioned one there is actually the, the speed, I suppose, the fact that you can do it too, you can recognize a trend coming or you can recognize the potential uh, yeah. traits of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it uh, has a lot to do with just curiosity. It's like being a curious person. Um, that's the most important thing. Like whenever I see something new, it's like I'm always obsessed with figuring out how does this work? Because um, I know that if I am curious, or at least all the mentors that I have in my life, they're the most curious people that I know. So, um, yeah, I think just being curious about, about everything that you can, that will be able to bring you great, great rewards in the future. So how quickly, I mean, time, timeline-wise, how quickly did this actually blow up for you? Yeah, no, like, like I had said, it was the first day I did the shout-out, did $3,000 in revenue. Uh, and then from there, it just continued to uh, continue to grow because I was doing more and more shout outs, which at the peak, it was hard to track like the attribution of, all right, I bought a shout out from you. I bought a shout out from you. So I tried to just kind of flood the market with my videos and my concepts or my, my brand fidgetly. And by doing that, we were able to build like the biggest brand. I think at our peak on the Instagram, we had like close to 150 or 200,000 followers. Uh, and by having that following was really a huge advantage of being able to get into Best Buy, Target, Brookstone, because when you're speaking to these retailers, a lot of them are like, yeah, sure, I have the traffic. It's ultimately what one of these retailers is. It's just distribution for your product. And if you can be like, hey, I have the distribution as well as the great product that people want, and then I can use your guys' distribution as well, it will just sell even more products. And that's what they're trying to do is they're just trying to sell as many products as possible. So using that following that we had as like, hey, we'll push people to your stores, um, I think helped us get into these, get into those uh retail stores more so than other people um, because we had that brand built around it which which um, opened my eyes to the power of a brand um, which is crazy how obvious is it i mean we, we sort of talk about marketing and you know essentially the, the eyeballs are the you know that's that's what you're trying to get in front of right potential customers yeah. potential buyers i mean is is it as obvious as that and, and when it comes to you know as you say influencers or whatever it's just letting people see it is getting them exposed to it, getting them a feel good factor or association with such and such a person. Is that what it's all about? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It really is. So like, I think there's like two things you have like marketing and you have sales. Uh, fortunately, like with the internet, it's the line is very gray with how they're different um, because the power of the algorithms and stuff on Facebook. But the way that I like to look at it is whenever you're first doing something, this is more so with like services rather than with, with a product because uh, the product, if you have a right video, it kind of sells itself, um, is sales is you have a fire and you already have people interested in a product. And then marketing is just that gasoline that you put onto it. So once you have that fire going, you just pour all the marketing into it. And then that's what's able to uh, really turn it into something big. And if I look back at the fidget spinner and go into the agency and how I think about things there, um, if I'm looking at the fidget spinner, it's like that first account that I posted on, I was looking the past six, seven, eight months, I was looking first for an audience that is underpriced and willing to buy products. Then I found the product. So I'm not looking for the product first. I'm looking for where is the cheap traffic, study that traffic, and then figure out what product would fit and then sell that product. So by doing that, that was allowing me to start the fire first. And then at its peak, whenever I wasn't really able to track um, like the direct response of these different shadows that I was doing, that was more so marketing. 
where it's like, all right, people have seen me. Now they take them, what, seven times to see it before they actually make a decision to purchase. Uh, so that was that concept there. And that, this is kind of how I think about the agency as well. Um, in, in the agency structure, to like we become thought leaders in the space for e-commerce and, and digital marketing in general. And we have all of the referrals and we have um, uh, clients passing us on to their word of mouth marketing, that sort of thing. And that is the, that's the fire that we're getting burnt. So now that whenever we start doing more talks, like something like this, or uh, we start uh, posting ads on, on Facebook and stuff, that's more of the marketing to continue to make sure that our brand is well known and continue to build a moat around what we're doing. How much of this is you know, repeated? How much of it is sort of a one-time thing that build the audience? And then obviously you're saying here from a marketing perspective, you know, is it a case of one and done new product is a whole new strategy or can you compound? Can you get repeat customers? Can you, can you leverage that sort of database if you like still? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, um, I'm glad that you brought this up because this is one of the biggest mistakes on the fidget spinner, fidgetly the brand was I didn't have a clear understanding and vision for where I was going to go next after this fidget spinner died out. Um, I was a one, one product, uh, <laughs> a one product show. And as soon as the music stops, then it's really, really hard if you don't have that vision for what's next. Sure. We had the vision for the gamified fidget spinner, but that wasn't the right vision. Learned a lot of big lesson there. Um, but no, I think it's really important, especially nowadays as traffic is getting more and more expensive, you have to be able to rely on your audience and you have to focus on the product development side more so than the actual acquisition side. So I always like to say it's like three years ago, the MVP of a brand was, was the head of growth. Um, now I would consider the, the MVP of whatever brand it is, it's the head of product because they're the ones that are going to be able to maximize that lifetime value. And you have to have a high lifetime value nowadays as traffic is getting more and more expensive. Um, so yeah, the way I like to look at it is, is the head of product is the person that's providing ammunition for the gun, which is the head of growth. So if they don't have any ammunition, the gun's absolutely worthless. That's kind of how I'm thinking about things right now. But to answer your question, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You want to rely on the list. So I have another brand now that I had started called David Vaughn. It's a fine jewelry brand done very, very well. And I took a lot of the lessons that I learned from the fidget spinner and applied it to this. Like, how am I not going to screw up again? So the reason why I liked the jewelry and fine jewelry, especially so much was because one, um, it's, it's high AOV. You have high margins on it. Two, the ability for me to create new products is basically untapped because it's very simple to create a new product. You don't have to go into all this R&D. Like I had to go into all this engineering to create the connected 3D fidget spinner to create one product. You don't know what's going to hit. So it's like with the jewelry is I can create all these different designs, continue to test, continue to test. And finally, once I find that hit, oh, take it up, scale it up as much as I possibly can. Um, and then in addition to that, it's like, I have this customer base, this high value customer base that are buying these expensive products. And I know it's, it's, it's a customer base that I want forever. Um, and I can continue to send them new products. So if I'm paying, um, say a hundred dollars for a, uh, the customer acquisition cost of this one piece of jewelry, I know that by continuing to nurture my list and continuing to use email marketing and SMS marketing, these retention strategies, um, I'm going to be able to sell them new products. I'm not going to have to pay that, that customer acquisition cost, which majority of the time, like, especially now is more expensive. Like that's the most expensive cost that you'll have 
operating in e-commerce stores is your CAC typically. Um, sometimes it's the product, but uh, if the product costs the product costs more than what your acquisition cost is, uh, I don't think you have good enough margins to be able to scale. So typically whenever I'm looking for something um, for a product, I want to make sure that I have about an 80% margin, uh, gross margin on that product so that I can be able to spend the most. I want to be able to spend more than any of my competitors. And if I can figure out how I can do that by having this really, really robust retention strategy where I can increase the lifetime value from say first purchase is $100, um, so eventually I know that my lifetime value over a three year period is say close to a thousand dollars. That's super valuable for me because that means I can spend more than my competitors. And if I can spend more than my competitors, I'm going to be able to win the auction. And I'm going to be able to continue to build the brand bigger and bigger. That's super interesting because I'd heard that before from God knows where, but you know, like a $10 item for sale online, you need to have wholesaled it at less than $2 50. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got two dollars fifty then for packaging and and getting it out there, getting it to the customer, all that side. Mm-hmm. That, that leaves you with roughly two dollars fifty for marketing and whatever else, and then profit margin. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Is that absolutely? Yeah. No, like I said, it's like keeping that eighty percent margin is so important because whenever I'm looking at it, like I said, it's like I'm very very data driven. I like to track absolutely everything. Um, on Facebook or say I'm using Facebook as an acquisition channel and I can see these results, these return on ad spend, I want to be able to have as low of a return on ad spend as possible to continue to drive sales. So if I know that at an 80% margin, I think my return on ad spend or my break-even return on ad spend on Facebook would need to be like a 1.15 or 1.2 roughly. Um, that is, that's what I'm trying to shoot for. Versus brands like say on my agency, whenever I bring in a brand, like these are the first things that we're looking at. It's like, I'm not looking at your marketing strategies. I'm looking at actually at the unit economics of your brand to make sure that it has what it takes to be scalable. Uh, It has what it takes to be this next big thing. And if they don't have that, then it's like, hey, you have some things that you need to fix here first before we can actually pour the gasoline on the fire. so yeah, you're absolutely correct there. It's it's crazy to think about, um, but but acquisition is absolutely everything. It is super interesting that that happens, and I mean, maybe sort of slightly naive. I mean, can can you be successful with a product these days without sponsoring sponsored ads, without this whole active promotion, this whole active thing, or is is that just completely naive nowadays? If you want to get eyeballs <clears throat> quickly, you want to not copycat it. You know, you yeah. just move quicker. Yeah, I think it is possible. To, you know, I think it's absolutely possible to do that. And actually, if you're able to do that without advertising, it is a great sign that you're going to be able to be that much bigger. Um, so if you are able to focus in on this product and you know what this product is, you know your market inside and out, like the head of product, basically, which is so important, you can go and you can partner with someone like an agency or a freelancer, whoever it is, and they're going to be able to do absolutely incredible things for you. So for example, uh, one of my first clients on the agency was this, was this baby brand. Um, incredible story. I think she was doing close to $100,000 a year um, on, on an Etsy store or Shopify store or something like that when we first started working with her. Uh, and eventually she ended up doing close to like mid eight figures in sales. Um, before, and prior to doing that, is she had her product dialed in. She knew exactly what her market wanted. 
She knew exactly what they wanted. And then from there, she just continued to iterate on it. And then by us coming in, we were able to pour the gasoline on. We were able to grow and scale her as much as we possibly could uh, because she had product that was great. She had the margins that was great. So it allowed us to spend the money we needed to spend. Um, and then she had the vision for product development and the continued product expansion to continue to nurture her list and continue to build that lifetime value. So to answer your question, if you're able, I think this is a good test everyone might be able to go through prior to launching a brand. It's like, hey, how do I do this for six months? How do I make a living for myself without using advertising? And if you can do that, man, you're onto something really, really, really big. Uh, it's much, much, much harder. Uh, and people always ask me, it's like, okay, how would you do this? If you were in my position, how would you do this? Uh, and there's a lot of places that you can go. I, I really think that retail is kind of not talked about enough right now. But if you think back the last 150 years um, or 100 plus years that we've been selling things, it's like it's all been through retail because they were the distribution before our social media platforms came out. So if you can go and you can leverage a place like FAIR or go in and get these contacts with uh, retailers to get your product seeded, get these wholesale contracts, start to get revenue in the door, I always like to say is try to get at least, how do you make about five to eight grand a month in profit just by your wholesale contracts, which is absolutely possible. Once you can do that, proven the product, you have money, you have like safety for yourself because it's the main thing in business, you can't run out of money. Um, and a lot of times what I see is people go in and they have this product, they haven't really proven it out and they'll spend their entire budget on Facebook ads or Snapchat ads or Google ads or something right away. And then they're in this, they're in this hole and they're in a massive amount of debt. So it makes them do things that aren't necessarily the best for business uh, versus if they would have just started out slower because everyone wants to resolve as quickly as possible. I get that. The people that wait and have that ability to have this delayed gratification, they're the ones that are going to actually be able to get the most out of, out of their product. And all the clients that have been most successful with me, they've gone through this strategy where it's, uh, they've proven the product out and then they're able to use the marketing as just this, this gasoline on the fire. Um, so that's, that's how I'm thinking about things right now. Out of interest, I mean, you're, you're sort of pre, pre sort of market, you know, aspect of who the fidget spinner customer was going to be and then ultimately who the customer was. I mean, how, how close were you to <laughs> one to the other? I mean, it was it your sort of ADHD kind of kid or did it turn into something else, do you know? Yeah, I think it, it initially it turned into that. It's like people that like the fidget. Um, it's, it's a common thing. I mean, I do it still to this day. Um, I know hundreds of other people that do it as well. And I think it's just like a common thing, almost in human nature. Um, and it's, it's something that everyone has a problem with. So yeah, I think that was the initial hook that people that really, really had it. Um, but then from there, everyone else is like, oh yeah, this is soothing. This is relaxing. I like this. I do fidget. Uh, also I realized like, yeah, we need to kind of take our, our angle and our positioning away from that a little bit to be more generic, because, uh, if you're trying to say that you're curing a disease some sort, which I guess you consider that, or an illness of some sort. Uh, there's a lot of strict guidelines and, and regulation around that. So initially, yeah, that's how we started. But then from there, we kind of just opened it up more and more. Um, and we had become so big that uh, everyone knew. It's like, oh, fidget spinner, I have to have it. And they, it was one of those things where it's like, I'm left out if I don't have a fidget spinner. What, 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 was, what was the really right things about the fidget spinner in terms of what you do? And then what were the wrong things about it? Um, the right things in terms of the right like product or the right uh, 
Yeah. Uh, it's the scalability side. It's the market. Yeah. It's you know the actual manufacturing exposure advertising. Yeah. Or what? Yeah. yeah. No, I think um, I think the right thing is what I did a really good job at is understanding my traffic channel and understanding like what they wanted and figuring out what product was for that. I think that was another the number one thing that I did right. Um, I think I did a good job with with the actual product and fulfilling on it and getting and figuring out the supply chain. Things I did wrong is again, I, I keep saying is I didn't have the vision for what, how do I expand this? How do I not be so focused on just this fidget spinner? That was the main thing that I did wrong, I think. Um, and doing it over again, I wish I would have had that vision so that I could uh, figure out what that next product line would be because it could have been an could have turned into something huge because at that time if i would have been able to figure out those different products and turn it into a large toy store or something like that um i would have been able to do so much so much better um but with that everything i learned i was able to take into the agency which is now super super successful uh we have about 125 people on the team um we manage email marketing we manage sms marketing we manage uh, paid social so google instagram TikTok. TikTok has been really, really big lately because like I said, it's so underpriced. Um, but yeah, with that, I was able to take all those learnings and then just really, really focus in on what I wanted to do, which was the marketing stuff. Um, and it was a huge learning as well. It's like, I didn't have this product, um, this retention strategy figured out. So I was like, all right, how do I help other people like me that were in my position do this? Um, and and that's, that's what we focus a lot, of, on a lot of our efforts on right now is coming up with these email campaigns, coming up with this email strategy, uh, figuring out the SMS strategy. Um, to continue to drive more purchases because acquisition costs are getting so expensive as of now, especially with the iOS changes where targeting isn't as good. Um, I would say if I were to if I were to guess, acquisition costs probably have doubled since last year this time um, due to one competition in the market, but then also just not even not being able to have as detailed targeting. I'm very optimistic that Facebook will figure this out because. Um, if you think about it, Facebook is, is like SMBs. That's that's the bread and butter, and they've been able to make so many different companies successful. Um, and now everyone is struggling with this. Absolutely, everyone is struggling with this. There's still ways. There, if you work with a team that's kind of been through all these different phases, there's still absolutely ways to to make it work. Um, but again, I think it's just as even more important that they that someone figures out the right product. They focus on growing organically first. And then once they're able to grow organically, then from there, they're able to uh, pour the gasoline on the fire and, and turn it into something huge. I mean, for you, do, do you keep a, a foot in both camps? I mean, you're saying obviously the marketing side, the agency side, so the, the, you know, the things that you did wrong and, and things, or do you try on the product side that potentially you could, you know, fidget spinner part two, basically? Oh, no, 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 no. Fidget spinner is completely dead and done. Um, it's uh, it's an artifact of the past. Um, I I just I still have the Instagram up just to look at it and remember those days and use it as inspiration. But um, no, nothing to do with the fidget spinner. Um, my my e-commerce brand, the jewelry brand, that has some of my focus, but uh, most of my focus is is on the agency and just continuing to grow that because we're able to help so many people. It's the coolest thing seeing someone that's doing say 50, $60,000 a month. And they don't, they just, they have the right product, but they just don't know how to get to the next level. Um, and taking them on this journey with us and setting up their proper email marketing strategy, SMS strategy, uh, paid social strategy, 
and then letting them get to five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand dollars a month in revenue, uh, which we've done a few times, has been so so fulfilling to see that. So, um, like I said, I've realized whenever I did the fidget spinner, I loved the marketing side, um, and now that's what I I'm really really focused on at the agency. We've grown so big that it's, it's how do we just continue to do more of this because we're really good. I always think about this concept of ikigai, I think is how you pronounce it. But basically, it's like what you're good at, what you love, what the world needs, what you can make money doing. Uh, and I think I found that through the agency and I want to just continue to double down on it. Makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. You know, we're actually allowing that. And just interesting because you mentioned obviously physical high street retail and things like that. I mean, is that something you'd ever sort of see yourself more involved with? Because I mean, are, are the, your clients typically, are they physical retail or are they more online retail or a mixture of both? Yeah, yeah. Most of our brands are actually, all of our brands are strictly online. Um, but it is something that we've been contemplating around launching a different division that allows these brands to get into uh, these different retail stores like Target, Best Buy, because I remember thinking back to the Fidget Spinner, how valuable it was for us. Um, and I know a lot of the brands, it's like, as acquisition costs are rising, the way that I look at retail, it's like, this is kind of your insurance policy, where it allows you to continue to keep the lights on. Um, and you're able to drive more customers, continue to build your brand bigger and bigger. And it has this waterfall effect where um, people see the brand online, but then they'll go into the store and they'll buy it. So if you're able to break even online, this is much more complex strategy, but if you're able to break even online, then, and you're able to then get that benefit through retail, the retailers love it. They're going to continue to place bigger POs. You love it because you have your wholesale margin there and you don't have to spend as much and you're breaking even on your acquisition costs online. Uh, so this is a strategy for the brands that are um, in the bigger range. So like I would say the 40, 50, $60 million range uh, that, that they use and they'll continue to leverage because it is so valuable. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, it's definitely something that we're considering and, and probably going to be rolling out in the future. Because as it stands right now, structure is like, we want to just be the commerce platform. Like we are your commerce marketing. Um, you focus on the product, you focus on the supply chain. Uh, we'll try to figure out how we can get your product seen by as many people and you drive as much revenue as possible. Um, and, and if that's the goal and that's the vision for what we're doing, uh, it definitely makes sense for us to launch this retail division that allows people to get into these different retail stores. Which, which is better, a, a, an amazing product with an okay strategy or a good product with amazing marketing strategy? Oh, good product with amazing marketing strategy. 1,000%. Yep. It doesn't have to be the smartest, quickest, newest, fastest, whatever. It just has to be the one that gets, exactly. the, gets, the, gets the volume and the scale and all the rest, right? Yep, exactly that. Um, you'd be amazed at how many brands pop up. So say you have a... Say you have a, a, a product that kind of leads the way. Let's in this case use the fidget cube. Um, that led the way for this fidget market. If you're looking at this, this is kind of how I think about trends. If you're looking at these products that are doing really, really good, kind of reverse engineer and you see, hey, it's like, hey, um, there's something here. They're doing a lot of revenue. If you're the second or third person, I know I said the first mover advantage is, is awesome, but some cases it's almost better to be the second or third player in the market because someone has cleared the way, they've educated the market on what the product is, and then there's always a couple brands for whatever that product is. If you think about it, it's like, all right, you have Coke, Pepsi, and off-brand cola. Like there's three players in that market. Um, 
you can do the same thing with these different strategies on, on digital advertising. You see someone, they make it, they make it work. There's, there's an equal amount of market there for your product. You just have to position it a little bit different than them. Um, and you'll be able to have a huge success that way. So yeah, absolutely. I'd bet on a good product uh, with an incredible marketing strategy over an amazing product, with just an okay strategy. You almost want to send them a thank you card for getting a, a little bit of market research out there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, builds a bit of brand, bit of trend. And for you, then, I mean, on the on the you know sort of the agency side, do you tend to sit on the creative side, or is it? I mean, you mentioned you're a bit of a data guy. Yeah, do you tend to look at the metric side and the, and the actual performance, or where, where would you normally sit in your flow state, if you like? Yeah, a little bit of both, but uh, I'm more focused on the operational side right now. Um, yeah, I'm able to find incredible people on the creative side that do what they do and uh, then just allow them to be empowered through it. Um, and that's kind of the strategy is I look at structured as, as we are a foundation for other people that are creatives that don't necessarily understand how to operate at scale and how to scale themselves up, um, being able to bring them in. So, so far today, we've done three acquisitions on structured and we're constantly looking for other people um, within that hundred to $700,000 EBITDA range that want to join structure and want to be part of something bigger um, and only focus on the things that they really, really love. So uh, yeah, to answer your question, I'm more on the operational side right now because I just love growth in general. And that's like the core value and like the vision for structure is like, we are growth. We look at us, we're growth for our company. So in terms of our revenues, our growth as individuals, uh, growth for our clients. So growing their revenues, helping grow them professionally and then growth for our team. So our employees, <clears throat> how do we grow them financially and how do we also grow them uh, professionally as well? And those are the things that we really, really focus on. And those are the things that allow us to make all of our decisions um, going forward. So if I think back to everything that I've done, it's like, why do I love marketing? It's because I'm able to see the data and I'm able to see that direct growth, that impact that I'm able to have. Um, and I'm obsessed with that. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun things and, and, continuing to grow bigger and bigger is is what really gets me excited and what makes me uh, wake up every day. Interesting. Earlier you said, you know, the key thing with the success, the fidget spinner, and also what goes on after, and, and your sort of, your intention was not to screw up again. I mean, do, mm -hmm. do you see it as a screw up? Do you see it as a, a mass opportunity or was just, that was just a really sort of expensive oversight and, and but you'll know for the next one? What way do you view it? Uh, yeah, I, I do think, I think I, I did screw up on the fidget spinner. I think that if I would have understood what I understand now, and I would have had this experience back then, so still, I was super young whenever I did this, um, I would have been able to turn that into a massive success. And that's actually something that I tell the team. It's like, why am I pushing so hard? Why do I push so hard for the growth of the agency is because I saw the opportunity I had back then, and I wasn't fully able to take advantage of that opportunity. And I don't want to let that happen again, because I know that the opportunity that we have right now with, with Structured and, and the agency to continue to grow, continue to be the absolute best performance marketing team uh, agency in the world uh, is an opportunity that we have. And I do not want to rest on my laurels. I do not want to regret not fully taking advantage of it. Um, so yeah, I, I think I did screw up and it, it sucks, to, sucks to see, but I took a lot of lessons and I don't think, I think without those lessons, um, I wouldn't have the foresight and the, the understanding to, to really be as focused as I am right now. It's, 
and it's in fairness to you it takes it does take a lot of focus like takes a lot of energy does it to, to actually keep on top of these things you know for you where 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 would we find you in your natural environment in terms of your learning in terms of your you know are, are you a dark room laptop away we go or is it on screen? yeah or what's what's your creative position yeah so my favorite thing to do is, is i love just so I, I used to live in LA and I would just go and I would take drives and I would just listen to podcasts. I'm absolutely obsessed, obsessed with listening to different podcasts because I think you can just learn so, so, so much. Um, but now living in New York City, I'll just go for a walk um, after work at the gym, something like that. And I'll just listen to podcasts as much as I possibly can or audiobooks. Um, and that's really, really whenever I, I get the most inspiration from that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like to be a little bit more behind the scenes and just stay focused because if you up are if you are up on stage and you are doing all these different um, podcasts and stuff like that, it takes a lot of your mind share away. It's like that's a whole job in itself of doing that. Uh, and I think there's different stages of your career whenever it's really important to do that. Um, but then there's also different stages where you just need to be you want to stay back. You just want to be I think people call it like monk mode. It's like just completely uh, isolated so that you can focus and you can get the job done. And I think right now I'm, I'm coming to a stage in my career where I need to be more outward facing and I need to be a little bit more um, uh, focused on, on spreading the word and spreading the vision for what we're doing. So uh, that's that's kind of where I stand right now. But yeah, again, absolutely love podcasts. It's it's one of my favorite things. Yeah, I mean, can you drop like they're getting too involved in it on the likes of Amazon or whatever? <laughs> it's yeah. It's funny you mentioned that, Pete. It's it's really funny. I hate buying stuff online. Like it's just like I don't know why, but whenever I see an ad, I'm like, oh, I can't click it because I know uh, this is probably mean of me or terrible of me. But I don't know. It's just it's just something. It's like ah, oh, no, I know what they're doing, and I feel like I'm getting like got almost uh, by doing it. But sometimes I'll buy stuff online. I go to it more. I don't buy anything from Amazon. Um, I just I don't know why. I just. Uh, I don't buy anything from Amazon. I will. I would rather buy something from like a DTC brand because those are like all my clients that I have. And I want to make sure that I'm able to support them in any way that I can. So um, typically, if I'm going to buy something, I won't click on the ad because I know it's going to cost them and, and I'll just go to the website directly and buy it. So uh, so it's better. I know I'm screwing with their attribution, but it is what it is. They're still getting the sale. It's funny how you, you do, you know, you know, you know too much. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of. I don't know it takes the fun out of it or else it just making a small purchasing decision suddenly becomes a whole task. You know? Yeah, whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Super interesting. Tell me what what's what's your guilty pleasure, Jake? What do you do when you're not not sort of your yeah. elbows I, and and marketing? Yeah, no, no. I love um <clears throat> I love to play soccer. I love to watch soccer for anyone that's a Manchester United fan. I'm a huge Manchester United fan. Um, I think I was telling you, I just went to London and then also Manchester um, a couple months ago and I got to experience my first game. Unfortunately, it was against Liverpool and we lost five to nothing. Uh, that was uh, really, really unfortunate. But yeah, no, I love to play soccer. I love to watch soccer. Um, and then I love going out to dinner, too. So those are the things that, that I really, really enjoy spending time with my friends and family. If you had to summarize your fire in your belly in a couple of words, Jake, what would they be? It's a great question. Um, I think growth in all aspects of life. Um, I think that's really what gets me gets me up every single day. So growth professionally, growth financially, growth uh, through my family, uh, figuring out how to have all that. That's that's what really really uh, excites me. 
growth if I mean, as for you, is it a case of if you're not not growing, you're dying? Is it? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. If you're not growing, you are dying. I think that is absolutely true. Um, and there's been times in my life where I have felt like I'm not growing and it's just a terrible feeling. So I know that I'm going to regret it. I know that life is short and I want to be able to maximize and fulfill my potential. I think like ultimately the number one worst thing that you can do is not fulfill your potential in life. Um, so that's something that keeps me going and keeps me pushing every single day. And by fulfilling your ten by fulfilling your potential, you are growing. So um, if I were to summarize it in one word, it's, it's growth. Yeah. 10 years from now, predictions, where are you going to be? 10 years from now. Oh man. I think we're going to be the, the largest and um, best performance marketing agency, uh, private performance marketing agency. Uh, the reason why I say best and largest is because a lot of times agencies will continue to grow, but they kind of lose the integrity of what they're doing. And I think we have a really interesting strategy around how we're building our teams and how we're positioning our teams um, to keep that integrity and keep that boutique feel of the teams that clients are able to work with. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I would say. In the next ten years, we'll be we'll have probably structured. We'll have about a thousand employees, and um, we'll be doing a few hundred million dollars of revenue a year. Tell us where can people learn more about you? Where can they reach out? Where can follow you, track you, hunt you down, stalk you, any of the above? Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter. It is I am Jake Schmidt. J I am I A M J A K E Schmidt S C H M I D T. Oh, love it. And tell us finally, is there a final piece of advice you'd like to leave our listeners today? Um, yeah, I'd say the biggest piece of advice is, is if you're trying to start a new product, focus on figuring out how you can uh, grow it organically first before spending money on paid advertising. You're going to thank yourself so much. And if you are able to figure that out, uh, the chances of having a massive success rather than a mediocre success will be huge. So it's the biggest piece of advice I'd give right now. Jake, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. And uh, listen, it's great to hear all it is. No doubt you'll do some amazing things. So thank you for spending your time today. Awesome, Peter. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.